Good morning, Good Hope. It's so good to be with you again. I'm Dr. Richard Harris. I'm an associate pastor here at Good Hope, uh, Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church, and I'm glad that you're joining with us today. Let's look to the Lord in prayer before we get started. Father, we thank you for yet another Lord's Day that we can come, we can be together, and Lord, we can examine your word and we can share it. And Lord, hopefully we can have your Holy Spirit speak to us through your word so that we can better live it. We love you. We love you. We love you. Thank you for loving us first, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Well, this morning, I want to kind of do a little bit of a follow-up for that on my last sermon, which was a couple weeks ago. And if you're watching it on Facebook or YouTube, I'm sure you can flip back. You can find that one uh, if, uh, if you did not see it. And it, I, we talked about generational curses. I want to do a little bit more on that because that's a subject that we rarely hear about in the modern day church. But I think it's a very important subject, and especially for us, uh, we Christians who are uh, perhaps here in America, uh, we tend to not hear a lot about this. Uh, my scripture verse for today, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19, it says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you might choose life, that you and your descendants might live. You know, Christians in America, we look at things in Scripture a little bit differently than Christians uh, around the world and, and down through the ages do. Uh, I think part of it is, is because of our independent spirit. Uh, America, the United States, is known as an individualistic culture as opposed to some countries that have a collectivistic culture. In other words, in an individualistic culture, we think, boy, we, we have to do it. If it's to be, it's up to me. We have phrases like that. Uh, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, right? If, if we're going to accomplish anything, it's got to be us. Whereas a collectivistic culture tends to think more in terms of, well, what's good for the whole group? Let's work together. And they're always concerned about, well, what, what about the whole collective? Well, in America, the United States, we're a little bit different. Sometimes we get so far that we even think that we can fight our spiritual battles all by ourselves. Well, the spiritual realm operates on different principles than that. The spiritual realm understands that there are some battles that you're going to have to fight, not individually as an individual Christian, but you need the church body. You need the whole church praying about something. That's why we have a church. That's why we're, we're placed in the body, because there are some things that it seems that we need more people praying about it and agreeing together, uh, and then God decides to move. Though another thing is the spiritual world also uh, you know, as it operates on these principles of, of interconnectedness and, and principles of family, you know, we tend to only look at the natural world. My parents are dead. My grandparents are dead. They're not walking on this earth any longer. So, uh, therefore, they, they're, they're just history. 
They don't have any impact on me, right? Well, when you're only looking at it in the natural world, you could say that. Yes, they're, they're dead. They're gone. They don't, they're, they're not around anymore. But in reality, my parents, my grandparents, your parents, your, your grandparents, they still exist. They're still somewhere. They're not on this earth, but they are in the spiritual realm. They still exist. So my, so do my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents. They all still exist. You see, we do not cease to exist when we die and, and our earthly body gives out. We still exist. We are living souls, and living souls will exist for eternity. We never stop being. We are still around. All of your ancestors still exist. Let that sink in. That's something that most people never even think about. And the Bible teaches that, that, that you, you're going to have to answer for your own sin. We pretty, pretty much have that. We, we have that in. But it also teaches that, in a sense, we are still impacted by the decisions and the sins that our ancestors made. And if you think about it, it, that makes sense. You're still impacted by decisions that maybe your parents made. Your parents decided to move you to Florida uh, and not uh, Oklahoma. Well, now you're living in Florida, and you grew up in Florida, and you didn't grow up in Oklahoma. That was a decision that your parents made maybe many years ago, but yet it still affects you, and it's affecting your children and your grandchildren. You see, you see how it, it, it just falls like that? So we bear the results sometimes not only of our own sin, we have to answer for that, but we sometimes we bear the results of bad decisions, sinful decisions sometimes, of our parents, grandparents, and, and other ancestors. There's a lost principle contained in Scripture that pertains to this. I call it the long-lost art of confession. You see, we understand pretty well in, in American Christianity nowadays, we understand the need to confess our sins. You know? I mean, that's kind of drilled into us from the moment that, that we show an interest in becoming a Christian. Well, you need to confess your sins, and you need to repent of them. Okay, we, we pretty much got that. However, it may seem strange to you that we're also given many examples in Scripture of people confessing not only their own sins, but the sins of their ancestors. Let me read you just a, just a few Scriptures, and there's many more uh, but let me just read you a few. Leviticus 26, verse 40 and 42. But at last my people will confess their sins and the sins of their ancestors for betraying me and being hostile toward me. Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, with Isaac, with Abraham, and I will remember the land. Nehemiah, chapter 9, verse 2. Those of Israelite descent separated themselves from all the foreigners as they confessed their own sins and the sins of their ancestors. Jeremiah chapter 14, verse 20. Lord, we confess our wickedness and that of our ancestors too. We have all sinned against you. 
Now, one of the tricky things about generational curses or generational sins being passed down through the line is you don't even have to know about the curse for it to have an effect on you. You may not have known what sins your great-grandparents were involved in uh, that may have started something in your family and it's just been passed down generation after generation. You know, if you go back four generations, like the scriptures say, you're going back to your great-great-grandparents. And last time, last time we were together, we did the math. Uh, because, and, and we counted up, how many ancestors is that? Well, you have two parents, you have four grandparents, you have eight great-grandparents, and you have 16 great-great-grandparents. Add those together, we're talking about 30 people, most of whom we didn't even know. Now, you know, be realistic. Do you think those 30 ancestors of yours all walked in holiness with the Lord? You know, never did anything wrong, never, never, you know, sinned against God, never did anything to bring any kind of a, a curse or a generational sin into the family line? I don't know about you, but I'm pretty sure that my ancestors did not all walk totally in holiness. I'm pretty sure of that. I just about guess that maybe yours didn't either, because that's a lot of people we're talking about. And people hear this and they say, well, you know, that's, that's just not right. That's just not fair. I don't know. There's a lot of things in life that don't really seem fair, right? I'm thankful that our Jesus, our Jesus is someday going to make it all right. <laughs> and fairness and justice shall rule the day. But it doesn't always work that way now. So some of you will ask the question, well, you know, well, well, are these curses fair? The Bible has an interesting verse. Proverbs 26, verse 2. Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an unfair curse will not land on its intended victim. An unfair curse won't happen. So in other words, the curses have to have a, a reason for starting. Uh, when there's a curse on a generation, it didn't just happen to occur. That there, there has to be a cause behind it. And you know what the cause always is? Sin. Sin. What makes a curse fair? Sin does. Curses always involve sin in some form. It might be your ancestor's sin. It, could possibly be someone else putting, sinfully putting a curse on you and your family line. Deuteronomy 27, verse 15 to 26. I'll just paraphrase some of this because it's too long to read the whole thing, but Deuteronomy 27. Cursed is anyone who carves or casts idols and secretly sets them up. Cursed is anyone who despises father or mother. Cursed is anyone who steals property from a neighbor. Anyone who leads a blind person astray. Anyone who is unjust to foreigners, orphans, and widows. Anyone who has sexual intercourse with his father's wife. And it goes on and on and on. Deuteronomy 28, 45 and 46. If you refuse to listen to the Lord your God and to obey the commands and laws he has given you, all these curses will pursue and overtake you until you are destroyed. And these horrors will serve as a sign and warning among you and your descendants forever. And before we get to the how do you fix this, there's, there's a haunting warning in Hosea 
that pertains to Christians in the church today. Suffering from things in their lives they don't understand where they came from or why they have to live with them. Listen to me carefully. They're not there by accident. They're not bad luck. They're not karma. They're not fate. Very likely, there is some sort of a curse that has come on the family line. A generational sin because of unconfessed sin on the part of your ancestors. And it just continues. Hosea chapter 4 verse 6, my people are being destroyed because they don't know me. Since you have forgotten the laws of your God, I will forget to bless your children. Wow, that's powerful. So what do we do about it? I thank my God for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gospel means good news, the good news of Jesus, that he has come to give us an answer to all of this. First of all, you need to exercise authority over Satan. You know, too often we just expect the Lord to fight our battles for us. If, if God wanted it that way, then why would he tell us in the New Testament to put on the whole armor of God? If God is going to do all the fighting there is, why are we putting on armor? And yet that's exactly what Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul tells us to do. Put on the whole armor of God. So that tells me I've got a role to play in these battles. Is it going to be one because God is, is on my side? Absolutely. But there's things I have to do also. And we as believers are granted tremendous authority and power over things in the spiritual realm that we rarely ever even take into consideration. We seldom make use of the power that we have. Matthew chapter 12, verse 29. Jesus is teaching and he says, You can't enter a strong man's house and rob him without first tying him up. Only then can his house be robbed. Well, Satan is the prince of this world. He is a very strong man. But we have the power to bind him and to overcome him. But we have to do it. We have to decide we are going to overcome Satan. How do you over overcome Satan? The book of Revelation tells us they overcame, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb. We talked about that last time. And the words of our testimony. Our testimony. Our who we are in Christ. That we are Believers, we are part of the family of God. We are born-again believers, sons and daughters in the family of God, and God is our Father. That's who we are. That's our testimony. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the words of their testimony. Satan has robbed us. He has robbed you. He has robbed you and your family of many things. He has robbed you perhaps of health. Maybe he's robbed you of money, he's robbed you of success, he's robbed you of promotion, he's robbed you of good relationships with your family members, he's robbed you of flourishing in life. It's time to tie him up. It's time to bind him. It's time to reclaim what he has taken away from us. 
How do we do it? Well, we can bind Satan. But here's the next thing. We've got to clean up our own generation. By confessing our sins, by living in holiness, and confessing the sins of our ancestors, and breaking any curses that may have taken place along this family line. I talked to you last time about how I believe that I have broken the long line of racism in my family line. I believe I've broken it over myself, over my children. But you know what? My grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, they can decide to fall back into that sin. But at least I've broken it. So I can look at my children, they're grown now. I can look at my grandchildren. And, and there, there, there is not this, this hold of, of racial bias, this racism that was a hold of me and my family and my father and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. I knew about this hold, and it's gone. It's been broken. One more really odd scripture that I want to read for you. It's in Matthew. We read over it all the time. I've rarely ever heard anyone preach on it except for me because I kind of like uh, the message here. It's Matthew 12, verses 43 to 45. It speaks to what we're speaking of today. Matthew 12, 43. When an evil spirit leaves a person... It goes into the desert seeking rest, but finding none. And then it says, I will return to the person I came from. So it returns and it finds its former home empty, swept, and clean. Then the spirit finds seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they all enter the person and live there. And so that person is worse off than before. That will be the experience of this evil generation. Jesus was talking about the generation in which he lived and did miracles in front of people and they rejected him. You notice that in this example, it's not enough to have a clean house. And that, I'm afraid, is where so often we stop. We have a bad habit in our life and the first thing we think of is, all right, I need to get rid of this habit. I need to stop this habit. Or we're committing a certain sin, and it seems to be a persistent sin. And we come to God and we say, I confess this sin. I repent of this sin. Help me not to commit this sin any longer. And we stop right there. We've erased the evil from our lives. But here's the problem. Just as this parable that Jesus told just as that person got rid of the evil spirit and swept his house clean, but then it was empty. And the other the evil spirit came back and he brought more evil spirits and it was worse than before. You see, here's what we do. We tend to get rid of bad habits, but we never replace them with anything, which would be good habits. We've got to, every time we get rid of something in our life, we've got to replace it with something good and wholesome and healthy and spiritual. Otherwise, we will tend to just replace it with something else. You've heard that you've heard the old uh, Aristotle, I believe, was the one who came up with that, that phrase, nature abhors a vacuum. Well, Nature doesn't like vacuums. 
In the spiritual world, they don't like vacuums either. So if I empty myself of all that is evil and do not replace it with and fill myself with all that is good and holy and righteous, I'm going to be in even bigger trouble, according to Jesus, than I was before because more evil is going to come in because now there's an empty space there and it's going to be filled. I, I know... I. <laughs> 31 years as a senior pastor, I know this to be true. I don't know how many people I have watched, and they say, well, I'm going on a diet. I've got to lose weight. And I do not, I can't count the number of people that I've had in my congregations who have gone on diets, and they've tried to lose weight. They've struggled, struggled, struggled with it. And then they, they, they come to the conclusion, you know what? I've heard that, that, that smoking, if you smoke, you don't have uh, you don't have the desire to eat as much, and they replace their 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 bad eating habits with smoking. <laughs> it it doesn't make any sense, does it? But I've watched it over and over and over and over again. Why are you taking up smoking? Well, it will help me lose weight. No. That's even worse than, the, than having the weight on you. And so it's like, it's like you, cannot, you cannot just get rid of one bad thing. You've got to replace it with something good, something healthy, not something that's just going to make it more evil. You replace the curse with a blessing. Let's end with this verse that I, I started our message with. Today I have given you the choice. Between life and death. It's Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life that you and your descendants might live. You know, friends, it is never too late to turn a family around. Cancer can be broken and replaced with health. Prejudice can be broken and replaced with love for all people. Depression can be broken and replaced with joy. Failure can be broken and replaced with success. Parents, decide to bless your children and not curse them. Decide to confess your sins. Decide to confess the sins of any, uh, any of your generations before you. Decide to pass on holiness, righteousness, and a good testimony, and belief in the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. And you and your family will be blessed because you make that decision. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, again, we just pray for all the families out there especially. Lord, we pray that we will not only be setting good examples by not doing the wrong things in life, but we'll be setting good examples of living a holy, righteous, God-filled life before our children. God, help us to detect any kinds of, of, of generational sin or generational curses that might have come into our family line, and let us confess them, let us reject them, and let us plead the blood of Jesus over it all. And Father, may we serve you with all of our hearts, all the days of our life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you.